Welcome to episode 100 of the Papa PhD podcast. In a lot of the conversations I've had in past interviews here on the show, we have talked about how academia and graduate school need to change. For this special episode, I'm bringing you a conversation during which I got a glimpse at what that change can look like. With this week's guest, Shaz Zamor, we dove into the current diversity and inclusivity challenges facing academia today and into how addressing them can change the face of science and research. I started to realize that my there was nobody to look forward to, to say, okay, this is how you do it, this is what the decision is, because what I want to do is not really something that's been done before. Uh, not exactly, otherwise, why am I doing it? And so it stops being looking ahead and seeing who's advanced, who's further, who's better, who can tell me things and start looking to the side and saying, who's doing something different? How are they accessing their path to success? How are they managing their work-life balance? How are they succeeding? Who are my allies? Who are, who are people who I feel safe around as we move forward together? Welcome to Papa PhD with David Mendez, the podcast where we explore careers and life after grad school with guests who have walked the road less traveled and have unique stories to tell about how they made their place in a world of constantly evolving rules. Get ready to go off the beaten path and hop on for an exciting new episode of Papa PhD. Welcome to today's episode of Papa PhD. Today with me, I have Shaz Zamor. Shaz is a neuroengineer and STEAM outreach coordinator at CU Boulder. Looking to revolutionize access to STEAM learning, Shaz is creating innovative, interactive tools aimed at intersectional, minoritized middle school students. Outside of work, Shaz has a penchant for creative coding, snowboarding, baking bread, and woodworking. Welcome to Papa PhD, Shaz. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. It's good to be here. I'm I'm super happy to have you here, and uh, I think uh, it's it's not going to be difficult for listeners to uh, uh, consider the the idea that diversity is uh, is a very present question in our society. Yeah, uh, and I think it's something we'll have to focus. Uh, in the near future and then going forward. And that's why I'm super, super excited to have you here because uh, this is something that is very close to your heart and that you work on. And I think uh, it's going to be really interesting to have this conversation because I've I've just recently, uh, the day we're recording, published um, uh, an interview, for example, about being a, a woman in academia and you know having kids etc cetera, etc cetera. and inclusivity is something that i think the 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 field uh, the the steam fields gain with but there's there's a culture that maybe comes from far behind that has some resistance to this change yeah. and this yeah. is why i'm really really happy to have you here today to talk about yeah. this i'm i'm so excited to talk about it it's such a it's a cool time now to see it being brought to the forefront and seeing so many institutions really taking it seriously and really trying to take risks to see how they can make these changes and and start to integrate a little bit more and 
So uh, yeah, I, I think about it a lot. I, I work on it pretty much 24 <laughs> seven um, in all these different avenues. So I'm, I'm really excited to get into it. Yeah. So to begin, uh, maybe just uh, give a little introduction of, of who you are. Uh, you know, as a neuroengineer, uh, what, what is it that, that you do? And uh, specifically, I would really love you to also give a, a little overview of what you do relating to this aspect of, of uh, inclusion and diversity. And also, you mentioned that you see things happening around you. I'd love you to share a little bit about that, too. Absolutely. So I'm Shaz, a.k.a. Dr. Z. My pronouns are they, them. I'm non-binary. Uh, I am a neuroengineer. I work at the Atlas Institute, which is a, a creative tech institute at CU Boulder. And as a neuroengineer, I like to build, design, fantasize gadgets that will augment or help us explore how our nervous systems work. Mm -hmm. um, and so primarily, I've most recently, I should say, I've been using uh, VR and 3D gaming platforms like Unity 3D to create these tools for exploring vision and other scientific explorations. So kind of taking these tools that are amazing and powerful and people are using them for really entertainment mm -hmm. and catering them, designing them for uh, more scientific exploration. Mm -hmm. um, I came to this path quite interestingly. I, I really love neuroscience. I have a PhD in neuroscience, um, but I, I realized looking back at my, all of my projects the part that I did the best was coming up with the experimental setup, building wind tunnels, making these VR arenas, um, all sorts of devices, building devices, making all sorts of designing my own circuits, writing my own code, really creating the, the environment. Um, and then moving forward, thinking about where I can actually make an impact and some progress, that mm -hmm. was really it. It wasn't really so much what's the assessment that I can make, it's what's the tools that I can build. How can we best answer this question? <laughs> uh, which leads really nicely into diversity and inclusion, which is kind of, so one half of my job is this creative portion, making all of these tools and gadgets for exploration and now learning uh, neuroscience, learning neuroscience and learning about how our bodies work. And then the other half is uh, helping the Atlas Institute get better integrated in various levels of the community. So integrated throughout CU Boulder, integrated in the tech community that's burgeoning in the Boulder, the front range areas that's Boulder, Denver, Fort Collins. Um, and then uh, also how it integrates in, in the general public. What's our online presence like? What are we doing in the actual physical community? Mm -hmm. um, and Boulder is a really interesting place to do this. Uh, Colorado is a really interesting place to do this because its demographics are not very, it's more typical for the Southwest, but not typical of the, like the demographic of the country uh, mm -hmm. where we see the, the largest minoritized group in Colorado is uh, Lat Latinx, the Latinx community. And mm -hmm. then there is a, a, a pretty sizable Asian and Pacific American, Pacific Islander uh, community. And then there's a fairly small black community and of course a very small indigenous community. Mm -hmm. um, so it's a different shift where a lot of people tend to uh, reach for the needs of uh, uh, black communities, which they absolutely should. Here, the target and what people have been working on and, and looking at who's around us has been looking at the Latinx community, which is a, a whole new wealth of, of problems to solve for me, which is, it's a fun, it's a fun way to expand uh, mm -hmm. and see what's out there. 
so I'm, I'm integrated and thinking about diversity all of the time with my uh, very brand new company, Craniate. Um, I'm making these uh, informal STEM kits that, and comics that uh, feature kids from, really they're kids from the hood, they're kids from all over, they look like all different, you know, there's a, a Muslim character, there's a character in a wheelchair, uh, we have a, a single parent household, are we really just trying to get uh, uh, an image of what my childhood was really like. Mm-hmm. Um, and so now with Craniate, uh, I'm creating these tools that are, or kits that help these students that really are not included in the educational studies, <laughs> uh, which is a lot of LGBTQ kids. It's hard to find data on how LGBTQ plus kids learn in the classroom, especially in mm-hmm. STEM. Who is in STEM? Like, like that's, that data, we're not collecting that data as in general. Uh, and then low-income, uh, other, other minoritized groups, Black, Indigenous, uh, Pacific Islander, um, Latinx, uh, just trying to to make something for them by them, <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, and and see what what is your version of STEM and how does it show up in your life and what are the problems that uh, STEM helps you solve, um, and that that's really where where my heart lies. There's a there's a long little mm-hmm. blather there, but <laughs> no no, <laughs> I do a lot. It's, it, it's super super interesting and. Just a few days ago, uh, an episode came out. Uh, um, I believe, yeah, this American Life, and um, this this guy was interviewed. He came from a black community, I think, in Chicago. Now I don't remember exactly, but he 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 said that uh, he had to change. It was a bit of a, about you know code switching. He had to even change like his accent because. Mm-hmm. In grad school, well, he was the only one coming from that demographic, mm-hmm. and he felt that he, if he, like, let's say, in a journal club or in a in whatever in a meeting, he would just talk the way he talked at home, that he wouldn't be taken seriously. Yeah. Eventually, he became a psychologist, and he's you know <laughs> well renowned, etc. But it, it's interesting to to think, you know, how can you create tools? And and clearly, you're you're a, a maker type person, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you like to and uh, well, people. Haven't heard this, but while we were in in the green room, Shaz talked about the workshop where there's woodwork stuff happening. So yeah. it's interesting <laughs> to see how how you can apply different skills and different uh, uh, passions that you have at different levels in your life, making things physically, but then also solving problems in the community. I really, really love that, and uh, and uh, cartoons and and uh, comics. For kids is clearly a way to reach them and now uh, I find this really interesting and I imagine also that given the the composition the demographic composition that you that you described earlier, there must be also some cultural aspects to having you know access to how many of these kids are LGBTQ. No, are they are are they out? Are they not out? Yeah. It might be depending on which community they come from that there might be difficulties there too. I don't know if if there's something uh, well in in what you do, but that you see around you that's helping also uh, kids who are in in this kind of uh, uh, you know gray area to mm-hmm. to find resources that can help them you know find their their tribe and and then also envision themselves in the position of, oh, I'll be a researcher. Yes, I'll be a scientist, yeah. for example. Yeah, it, there's so many layers to to that point of the problem of accessing, getting to these kids, and that 
the kids might identify as LGBTQ and the parents might, and anything you're doing with children involves an adult, right? And it mm-hmm. should, mm-hmm. um, in most cases. And, and so it's hard to, and, and then the parents, you know, even if, if the parents are accepting of their child and, and supportive of their child, you're not sure if that communication travels all the way through. So mm. there's, it's a really challenging, it's something that just needs attention. It needs minds on the problem, right? Mm-hmm. Like, like that's, mm-hmm. that's more of an indicator of like, oh, we should pay more attention to this. Oh, we should put more energy, effort, money into this. Uh, because there are so many problems with just finding out who, <laughs> <laughs> getting the numbers, <laughs> like the starting point. Uh, mm. it's, already, it's already a problem just getting there. Um, yeah, so so I think my my solution to that is really just putting the content out there and then trying not to make it so that a student has to identify, has to name themselves, has to out themselves in order to get access to it. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a it's a really it's a confounding problem. <laughs> yeah, that's what <laughs> um, I Social that's media I mean. helps somewhat. Social media helps somewhat. There's there's enough independence, I think, in social media for better or for worse with uh, with youth that you can get an idea of of who's out there and what they're interested in uh, without worrying about filters or negative impacts from from family. Mm-hmm. And in a way, it's there's a parallel between what I'm trying to do with Papa PhD and what you just said, what you just mentioned, which is, you know, in my case, I'm I'm trying to have you know if a listener who's now finishing maybe their PhD mm-hmm. can't envision themselves in the private sector, in industry, or in you know in something that is not the lab, they see the examples of people who did it, and mm-hmm. that will kind of make it easier. Oh. Okay, they look like me, they sound like me, and they're doing this thing that is that is outside academia. Oh, maybe I can look into that too. And I think I feel that the process that you meant, the, 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 or the, the 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 thing that you're trying to do, it's kind of that. Is they don't need to say anything, but if if they're reading something where someone who looks and sounds like them is doing this, yeah. is following this path, they can say, "Oh, you know what? I hadn't thought that I could be this this person in the future." Yeah. And, and in, and also like the other part of that is, is showing them almost that there aren't paths. It's just a field. <laughs> you can go any which way. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. I firmly think that one of the biggest lies that we were, have ever been told is that we have to be one thing. And mm-hmm. I think it does a lot of people disservice. I think it especially does uh, minoritized and intersectional kids in disservice because I don't, I don't know a single, and we were talking before, uh, we started recording about about code switching mm-hmm. and how you know people are you know you show up especially minoritized groups especially black uh, trans I mean I could the the whole long list <laughs> the whole how in, in one sphere <laughs> you behave and you act one way and in another sphere you behave and you act another way but also comes with that is you're doing different things you're going to have different skills that you apply in this sphere mm. where you're in code one and then you're going to have a different skill set that you're applying in code two mm-hmm. and nobody talks about how that helps your career how that applies mm-hmm. to your career mm-hmm. um and so i i it's also showing that there's so much out there there's so much out there that you can do <laughs> it's, it's uh, and any one of your skill sets i mean especially i mean scientists today we're all so interdisciplinarily trained right every everything kind of needs something else you can't do biology without engineering right um for example and so we we have this skill set that's very very broad almost inherently 
uh, and then we don't lean on it when it comes to thinking about careers because mm-hmm. you know academia is very they put blinders on and you're very narrow now or myopic almost like I can mm-hmm. do this this is what you do with a PhD this is the path that you go on instead of going well I learned how to build a wind tunnel and I learned how some some very solid basics on thermodynamic flow I can do this I can go over here. I've learned how to program. I'm really great with analytics. I can do this. I can go over here. Right. And then in my own hobbies at home, I snowboard a lot, but let's say mm-hmm. I teach my, all of my friends, I've taught them how to snowboard. Okay. That's a path. That's an option, right? There's mm-hmm. so it's, it's, it's really employing your skill set as maximally as you can. Mm-hmm. It's true. And, and it's true that, that, you know, people who are now going through grad school or through university compared even to like, like you or myself, who's even a little bit older, uh, they, they know so much, even in terms just of, of, you know, computers, all the, all, all these things. Mm-hmm. Again, you, t- you mentioned Twitter before, just social media. Those mm-hmm. are skills too. Yeah. And, and, and not only skills, it's networking, yep. which at that age, I didn't have a network at all. <laughs> right. And yeah. now, now it's so easy to, to be on a platform like this and find a tribe and be in touch with people in the, at the, at the, on the other side of the planet. I, I really agree with you with this. And, and it's true that our parents, our grandparents often had this thing of one career. And then uh, there was a Rolex at the end, you know, mm-hmm. and then there was a retirement. Mm-hmm. And it's true that it's not the reality today anymore. It's true that because of globalization, because of, because of evolution of things. I, yeah. I, I really, really agree. Now, uh, we, you know, we went, quickly uh, uh, over or you, you went quickly quickly over your phd uh, and and how how you got interested in science and we you talked also about diversity the different de- demographics that are for example uh, in colorado where you are mm-hmm. um and i i really maybe i really want you to share maybe uh what if, if if you have seen changes between when you went through grad school or university and what you see happening today in terms of you know being a woman being a woman of color being being a non-binary woman of color can you talk a little about a little bit about the good things that you're seeing happening and how they compare to maybe some experiences that that you've had yeah um yeah so so i i did identify as a woman for most i mean i've i've always identified as gender queer but like i've i've occupied women's spaces and and had mm-hmm. that experience for most of my uh career um and i it's it's a tough question so it's changed and it hasn't changed <laughs> uh there are definitely i've seen a lot more top down efforts i've seen a lot more uh, administration and uh, kind of structural changes that go in DEI positions, DEI okay. committees, uh, just this focus on evaluating, uh, truly evaluating how uh, faculty students are are engaging and and participating in diversity and and part in most importantly inclusive efforts, which is a cultural shift, yeah, uh, not just a numerical shift. Um, so I've seen a lot more of that and that's really great. I think it's, I feel personally, and it might just be where I am in my career and the kind of accolades I have behind me at this point, but I feel much more comfortable 
speaking out when mm-hmm. something is not okay than I did before. Uh, I feel like even if I was, and I often am the only black person in the room and somebody mm-hmm. says something and no pun intended off color, I feel like if I were to stand up and say something, my white colleagues would be in support, right? Like okay. that's something that I think certainly didn't happen in grad school for me. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, uh, um, so that's nice. I like to see that. But then there's also, I think we haven't quite had the collective realization about how much has to change. Um to to actually make a truly inclusive environment. Um, and so in that frame, there's kind of like at the individual level, at, at like the bottom up, like who, how are we rallying to really care about that? That's still mm-hmm. lacking. Um, again, because I think we frankly just don't sit down and have the practice of thinking about what the future is. What's it going to look like? What's, it, what's the classroom physically going to look like? What's a mm-hmm. lecture actually going to contain? How are mm-hmm. all of these things? I mean, we sit down and quantify so much as scientists, as thinkers, but we're not sitting down and quantifying what that actually is. What's it going to look like? What's the end result going to be? How do we actually predict this? There's no practice of that. Um, and so it's kind of like this big hand wavy gray mass and we're like yeah we're making it better but you <laughs> you can't actually make it better if you don't have a goal in mind and so there we really need to see that progress still it feels like we need to have some uh, inclusiveness minded uh, ux specialists you know u- user experience specialists to kind of model what it's going to actually feel like for the for the, the users who are in this case the the students yeah, uh, yeah. question are there you know you you've you've had to clearly from what you're saying deal with some 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 difficulties and some mm-hmm. exclusion in, in, or you know in, in your in your path but were there um strategies were there things you did or or people in your path that 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 were helpful and that you can uh you know that yeah that were helpful with that yeah. and are there is there some advice for someone who's now at this institution or even in this group sometimes it's just that there's group dynamics right there's there's group culture yeah. that is there is somehow not um so accepting and uh, and that's that's difficult or is there some advice you can give based on your experience of you know overcoming these obstacles and coming out stronger after yeah uh and my my advice is echoed by research, (laughs) Mm -hmm. have a support group, have a support group, have a support group, have a support group, have people you can go and go back to your base code, go back to that natural language, drop your guard, you know, be yourself, be really comfortable. You got to have those, especially as any sort of minoritized, especially as intersectional, uh, have your support group. For intersectional people, I will acknowledge it's super hard. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, like for me, for example, black spaces aren't always queer-friendly spaces. Queer-friendly spaces aren't always black-friendly spaces. Mm-hmm. And so it's a really hard thing to navigate. But it's still, even if you're not fully relaxed, even if you can't find a black queer space, for example, that combination, even those little bits that you get, those steps that you get, if it's a single person even, it goes so far. Uh, there was one fellow who I think about as my mentor. I can't, I know his name is Ed. I can't remember his last name, mm. uh, but he was uh, a new faculty 
He was working in uh, molecular biology at UW. I was in P-Bio, so we were in the same hallway. Mm-hmm. And I would see him in the hallway. We just kind of wave at each other walking by. Mm-hmm. And then Wendy mm-hmm. just like pulled me aside. We just started chatting. And then anytime I saw him, we would just like stop in the hallway and chat for two or three minutes. And maybe we got a coffee. And it was just this idea. It really created this sense of 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 culture for me mm-hmm. in academia of what I really, it, it nurtured a thing I needed and it set the precedent, right? Like here's someone, when, we, when I see someone frequently, you're part of my community. Mm-hmm. I should have a relationship with you <laughs> to some mm-hmm. degree. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so in that, that, that's someone that I think about a lot. That's a, it's a behavior I think about a lot. How can I bring that forward? Uh, and I think things like that are also really important, like looking at how people give you the cultural needs, meet your cultural needs and how you can help that with some, bring that to somebody else. Yeah. I don't know about you and, and I must say I enjoy all the interviews I do, but during this conversation with Chaz, I felt so inspired. And, and the funny thing is editing it afterwards and preparing the episode for the launch I also felt this inspiration and this positivity after just listening to our conversation. So I hope you're enjoying this one. Uh, today, and because we're talking of diversity in academia and inclusion, inclusivity in academia, I'm going to uh, ask you, if you feel inspired and if you can, to go support a platform that promotes diversity in academia. You can do so by going to ko-fi.com forward slash diversity in academia. I'll drop the link in the show notes and buy them a coffee. Or if you know of platforms around you that promote uh, diversity and this type of programs, well, go support them. Go see if they need help, if they need a hand, or if they need financial support, if that's what you can offer. As Chaz was mentioning just before, A lot of this has to do with culture, with changing culture. And changing culture takes a lot of work. So any little help will be precious. And actually, feel free to reach out to me if you have uh, inspiring organizations or, or other types of platforms that you think I could promote or support. And I'll add them to the show notes of this episode. Thanks for being a listener and for your generosity. And now, let's go back to my conversation with Chaz Amor. So, it feels like th- this person saw you, or saw something in you, but at least didn't see you as your color, didn't see you as how you dressed. There was some, there was a, something that clicked and that, that made that bridge of communication. And often, especially I'm thinking of grad school, you, you know, we can be very, very, uh, we, you know... Uh, we have this like tunnel vision of of work and our antennas might not be turned out to these possibilities of creating bridges with other people mm-hmm. and w- you mentioned having having uh, groups of of like-minded people or or people in in your uh, in your tribe let's say and i think this is very important it's funny it's funny because often i mention I, i tell people if you like i don't know science policy and and you know, create a group around science policy. But, and, and here it's exactly the same thing, but it's, it's about, about what your tribe is and, and where you can feel safe and lower your guard, etc. I think it's super, super important. But, you know, you, you, you'd mentioned the word mentor and 
mentors mentors are not easy for everyone to come by but often it's a question of having your antennas turned out and and being and being receptive of the signal of okay this person is seeing me and yep. is is reaching out to me independently of all these tags that can be you know that that can define me to other people this is you know i think this is an opportunity to to not to be missed yeah how do you, you know i don't know it's it's not i'm and i'm i'm having a hard time formulating this because i've really had uh, i i like talking about mentorship mm-hmm. but like half half the people especially going through grad school in stem haven't had someone they consider a mentor in their in their path and then half of them do and i haven't been able to find it, it feels like part of it is luck mm-hmm. but i think it's attention attention to to these signals i don't know yeah. if you have a comment on that yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, so I think I think part of the reason why that question might be so hard is because I think it's hard to define what a mentor is, and everybody has a different definition. I think generally you look for a mentor as someone who you can feel safe with. I think that's mm-hmm. kind of priority one. You can be vulnerable around, uh, and who can? It's kind of like almost like a coach where they're they're guiding you, but they're not. You are you are independently growing your skill set with this little these little taps and nudges from this person mm-hmm, that you trust. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, and so, it. when you yeah. think about it in that definition, it means that a mentor can be anybody. And so, I I have clear and defined mentors, especially going through my my more traditional academic path, mm-hmm. right? my advisors, my faculty advisors, etc. Um, people who are in like black scientists, queer scientists, people who are kind of like in my identifying communities mm-hmm. uh, or identity communities. And then uh, once I once I left uh, academia briefly, and then I came running back because <laughs> <laughs> it works that way sometimes. Yeah. Um, I, I started to realize that my there was nobody to look forward to to mm-hmm. say, okay, this is how you do it. This is what the decision is because what I want to do is not really something that's been done before. Mm-hmm. Uh, not exactly. Otherwise, why am I doing it? And so it stops being looking ahead and seeing who's advanced, who's further, who's better, who can tell me things and start looking to the side and saying, who's doing something different? How are they accessing their path to success? How are they managing their work-life balance? How are they succeeding? Who are my allies? Who are, who are people who I feel safe around as we move forward together? Mm-hmm. And that I like has really shifted how I move, how I, how the networking I make, the decisions that I make. Uh, I talk to a lot of young uh, entrepreneurs, I, like, and, and to get advice, right? like, yeah, people yeah. who are just figuring it out, people who haven't registered their business yet. And we're all <laughs> talking and having this conversation and I'm learning from them and being vulnerable. They're my mentor. Yeah. I know. It. it totally makes sense. So, so, just a question, a practical yeah. question. Someone who's listening and who who you know is resonating with what you just said. Where are you having these conversations on on what platform or platforms, and how are you finding these people? Yeah, 
Now everything's online. <laughs> yeah, yeah, now yeah. everything's on Twitter. Just to clarify, uh, <laughs> we're we're still in the COVID pandemic, so yeah, yeah, <laughs> it's true um, that it's it's you're not gonna have coffee with these people, right? <laughs> today, I, not today. I, I actually I've had a couple. Uh, I go for coffee walks where we're, we're oh, outside okay. and 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 mostly masked except when sipping and mm-hmm, keeping a, a social a distance, distance, but yeah. but getting to enjoy. <laughs> being outside which is important and then being around each other so i do i do go on coffee walks with a couple of folks but i'm mostly finding people through instagram i've I've been actually quite shocked at the the business connections that i've made through instagram that's cool uh and twitter a little bit um but a a good amount comes through the structures that are at cu boulder so cu boulder is exceptional at uh, nurturing a, an environment for entrepreneurs. Exceptional. Okay. Uh, really great support, really great um, IP rules. Like it's really easy to, to create something and keep it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that has been a really great place, mostly just because I'm, I'm an entrepreneur and I'm trying to, that's where I'm going. So mm-hmm. looking around and just seeing what, what resources are accessible in my immediate physical community has been a really great way to, to find people. Um, and then in, in conferences, just the, and not in the traditional way, right? So going to talks is great. Chatting with people is great. But when I go to the socials, I try not to talk about research. I try not to talk about science. I try to talk about what games are you playing? Uh, what's mm-hmm. a hobby you've picked up? Like, who are you as a person? Uh, and making that, that game that way. And I've, I've found that has been my most successful path. Mm-hmm. I think I found the broadest reach of networks and the most, beneficial networks um by by just asking unusual questions in places where people are expected to be stereotyped mm-hmm. and uh, another question is now you know you're you're networking uh, in and you're becoming uh, an entrepreneur you're all you also have this mission of helping kids see themselves in a, in a, in a in a future that is uh, that is connected to to the steam field yeah and see, and see themselves no matter their their origin, no matter their their background, which is really cool. Uh, do you see um, that you know some, or do you have some examples of young people you've seen uh, kind of flourishing into this into this new image of themselves? And I just I'm just I just wonder what this looks like today. And if not, maybe how what do you envision? based on the efforts you're making and that you see that the top-down efforts you see that are being made, how do, what do you envision as the what's, what's going to happen in five, 10 years? And what do you feel the impact is of making these things happen and making university and, and graduate school more inclusive? Yeah, great question. Um, so... I'll talk, I'll talk a little bit about uh, what's happening with these kids and then I'll, I'll talk about like what my, my vision is for mm-hmm. what's, what steam will look like. <laughs> um, so with, with these, with craniate, with these comics and this experiment kit, um, we're really trying to craft uh, a broader sweep of science identities, which is this very complex uh, uh, phenomena where we, we're primates, we're social animals, and we I primarily identify, we're very visual creatures, most mm-hmm. of us. And so we see whether, ignore all the politics, we see ourselves, we look for features of ourselves 
in our community to -hmm. get ideas of what is feasible to intuit intuit what works and what doesn't work. And so if you cannot make that connection, you can't make these intuitions and these guesses and take educated risks to move forward. Mm -hmm. And so this happens to a lot of these students who aren't included in the image of what a scientist looks like, what a technologist looks like, an engineer, a mathematician, or what those types of engineering, what STEM actually is, the problem mm-hmm. that they're actually solving, right? So it's, it's not just who's doing it, it's what problems are valued, right? So if you're subterrestrial <laughs> and everybody's working on all these terrestrial and arboreal problems, yeah, you're not going to think that's for you because none <laughs> of these things apply to you directly. And so the, the main push here is to start to create an avenue where these kids can just access that and see, oh, yeah, I love art. I didn't realize that art is geometry. Oh, yeah, I love music. I didn't realize that music is really complex math and programming. Right? <laughs> but this means now there's a, there's a relationship that I have to this more technical thing that's tied to my passion. And now I'm, I'm going to be more motivated to learn about it. Mm-hmm. And so, and there's tons and tons of studies on this, that once you have these kind of exposures and this relationship, that your uh, attitudes towards STEM feel much more positive, right? It makes more sense. And I, I've always said my, throughout my whole career that if you want engineers, go to the hood because we're constantly <laughs> figuring out how to do things because nobody's doing anything for us. <laughs> you see these kids that figure out how to duck duct tape their car and you Mm -hmm. kind of joke about like, Oh, you got duct tape on your car, but think about what that means. You have to know where to apply force. You have to know how to like make sure that the surface is clean. So you get a good stick in order for Mm -hmm. that to be a successful solution. That's all the same (laughs) kind of skill set that you employ when you're doing any kind of engineering. (laughs) It's just what we call it is something different, right? Mm -hmm. When you think about black hairstyles and how they do all these intricate things with braids, that's materials engineering. (laughs) But you don't think, about it because we call it something else. Um, And so if we start to really break down these very rigid ideas of like, well, I have to call biomechanics this and start saying, oh, well, when I see a dancer, when I see people crumping or or, uh, animation where they have this amazing, amazing physical control, Mm -hmm. we can go and talk to those dancers about biomechanics. When you start to break down those walls, you start to really see what STEM can actually be. Mm -hmm. Uh, And you start to really think of who is going to be involved, right? And so I... I like to do this practice when it comes to imagining what's, what the future is going to look like. I like to imagine I'm in a hallway in a university and I'm walking down the hallway and I'm looking in the rooms and I'm seeing what is different. Maybe the hallway itself is different. Maybe the rooms themselves. So there's some classrooms, there's some research labs. We peek in and we see the classrooms don't have desks that are all facing forward. They're in a circle because we have a large number of deaf and hard of hearing students. And we want to make sure that when we give our lectures and we teach our classes, everybody can participate. Everybody can learn. We're accommodating. We're changed. We're different. This is a different space because it is inclusive. When you look into the lab, you're seeing children playing because it's okay to bring your kids to work and have that (laughs) as an incorporated space. You're seeing people standing out in the hallways, taking a break, learning a new TikTok dance because we're human and we bring our full selves into our workspace. And it's okay to take these breaks and show people in a public space that we're human and we do human things like Mm -hmm. follow trends on TikTok. (laughs) Uh, You see kids in, in, in the lab that are wearing hijabs, that are in wheelchairs. Maybe you always have 
of your happy hour, your Friday happy hours are on the, this one bar because it's on the first floor and it's more accessible to the people who are, uh, have physical disabilities, right? Mm-hmm. We're just th- really like the, the whole practice is just like, how much can I imagine as being different? How many different people can I think of when I think of this image of the future? Uh, and you start to really think like, oh, this, that means, how their work hours are different, our deadlines are different, our grant application process is different, how we publish. Maybe we're not publishing as much. Maybe Mm -hmm. we're giving more talks because what's spoken is as valuable as what's written, right? Mm -hmm. We're shifting what we're doing to be far more inclusive. And if you think about these things, you get this knee-jerk reaction like, oh, well, you can't do that. That's not science. (laughs) Then you're not actually, you're going to stay in this exclusive regimen. That's like, it it has to change. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think, I think, and I've said this earlier before, and I'll say it again, that the amount of change that has to happen for STEM, for academia in particular, to be genuinely inclusive is far more vast than what people are expecting right now. Mm-hmm. It's mm-hmm. breaking down all of the walls, maybe even literally. <laughs> well, it's breaking with you know hundreds, you know, hundreds of years of of, of past experience, mm-hmm. and and I think that's that is diff- it's funny because I often talk about this thing of breaking with the past just because of this issue of there's only 15 to 20% of people coming out of grad school who are going to be professors. Mm-hmm. Yet, like you said before, that when you're in grad school, that's all that they, the, that's the carrot that they put in front of yep. all of us. Yep. Right? Yep. But we know, we've known now for years that 50 to 80%. So, you know, some people can say around academia, maybe not, you know, without being a tenured professor, but then 50% of people will go out mm-hmm. and it's super interesting that you say this because it it's true it's it's can it's building a new academia is <laughs> big almost almost from scratch the brain you know our brains are the same the way we learn are are the same it's just a question of it's the institution it's the baggage mm-hmm. 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 and that's really i think that's what's difficult is it's really it's really difficult to get rid of baggage yeah yeah i i have been seeing and I will, I will just make the disclaimer that I know I'm in a bubble at CU Boulder because there's a lot of revolutionary people that are doing really radical things. And I'm like, oh, this is the whole world. <laughs> <laughs> but, but I have been seeing a lot of people who are going through the academic track so they can build, they can create their own schools. They can, mm-hmm. create, like, they, I mean, we're really in a place of innovation we're really in a place of very empowered entrepreneurs and it's not just entrepreneurs who are coming up with a new startup they're entrepreneurs that are coming up with a new classroom with a new way mm-hmm. of learning with a new way of communicating um and so it's really exciting i i really think that the more we see the 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 trickle of diversity that makes it through mm-hmm. the the washing machine that is academia <laughs> when they come out on the other end they're really you know putting in work uh, and so I I think we're in the next five ten years we're really going to see a lot of the impacts a lot of the the, the successes of these people I, I now I want to visit because this sounds really <laughs> awesome I, I I have a question for you so uh-huh. based on this you know. Uh, uh, there can be an industry, uh, depending on who you talk with, there's parts of industry who actually go and, and, and like almost hunt for PhDs. But I feel that we, we're coming out of a, maybe a decade where uh, 
the the way to to be um uh, how can I say, how can i say a great candidate for some domains was to get an mba mm-hmm. and it might have felt for some people like oh okay i chose a phd i made the wrong choice right and what i'm hearing from what you're saying is no a phd is a way of the future and yeah. I, I sometimes try to to you know to to think about that a lot and 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 find kind of a narrative for that but you gave this kind of to me futuristic you know futuristic picture and i was i was really like almost seeing it in the eye of my mind and it was really cool about this this uh, this inclusive future of people being able to engage with knowledge wherever they they come from and it's really exciting but do you have yourself based on your experience going through a phd a kind of a i don't know a tagline or a you know what does it mean in the 21st century or what's what you feel it's going to mean to have a phd in in the society the the future society yeah uh whew. i want to say i know i know it's this is coming out of the blue eh? I, I, we didn't okay. prepare no, this. i'm ready let's go <laughs> <laughs> uh i do want to say that i was i was looking you know i was steadfast looking to get out of academia. I was looking in uh, um, data science and science communication. And, mm-hmm, and I was mm-hmm. really fervently looking for about a solid year mm-hmm. of just being in the job market. And one thing that I know that I don't think people tell you is that outside of academia, nobody knows what a PhD is. <laughs> and then they see the PhD and the number of times that interviews are like, well, why don't you want to be a professor? You have a PhD. And I'm like, Mm, (laughs) (laughs) like oh if only i could tell you um and so there's there's this we're in this awkward phase right now where we have this efflux of phds going out into a world that doesn't know how to deal with that exactly uh i got more hits uh more successes with uh interviews and and uh kind of going through the job process if i said i had a master's in neuroscience which is absurd that was very huh. rare to have a master's in neuroscience um that if i said i had a phd so just just putting yeah. that out there that the world isn't quite we haven't masked the numbers yet where people are like oh i understand you're just very uh practiced in budget management project management uh uh overhead administration mm-hmm. Um, on top of like coding and al- analytics, the myriad things that you're doing in your in your PhD, and so that is really kind of that's 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 the that's the baby, that's the that's the egg, is that you've mm-hmm. gotten so much experience in your PhD that is not your thesis. <laughs> yeah, it is a, it is the product of your thesis, but it is not the goal, right? And so we're not we we don't really we're absolutely not trained to think about how, what our PhD is in, in these terms of like in the language of other sectors, right? We're we're not taught that we're doing data science. We're not taught that we're doing database management, (laughs) but we are, (laughs) we are project managing. We are uh, meeting with stakeholders. Every time you have a committee meeting, you're meeting with stakeholders. Every time you write a report about your grant that you got and you're, you're sending your reports back annually or your end of grant report, you're talking with stakeholders. Mm -hmm. The language is just different. And so coming out, we really are very well equipped to become entrepreneurs. There are absolutely things to learn, right? There's a whole reason why there's a degree to, to run businesses. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but you come out really ahead of the average person. You have a really great skill set. And on top of that, what you learn as a PhD 
is you learn how to learn. You learn how to seek out resources. You learn how to build. And so that's like the foundation that you Mm. need to do really any kind of business development successfully. Mm -hmm. Uh, So it's getting in this practice, I think, uh, to really be successful as like a a PhD now that's going out, you really have to think about what's the language? How are are we saying the same thing with different words? Uh, How can I change what I'm talking about to fit that new language? Look at job applications, see what's out there. And, And even like look for some talent you have. You can code in R, right? plug that into an Indeed search and just see what comes up. What can you actually do with that? And how are people talking about it? Um, I think that's, that's really, really important because it gives you a sense of what the market is. And while you're still getting your PhD, you have time to kind of cater your skill set and your language toward it. Yeah, definitely look at, at job postings is definitely yeah. a really good one because then if you if you look at the you know ten of them you'll see that are thing in the same domain you'll see that mm-hmm. there are keywords that are gonna come yes, come back yes yes and then find those keywords where does my experience fit with this keyword and then if you're creating either a resume or a LinkedIn profile include yep. those keywords those in there words, exact words <laughs> exactly copy and paste it <laughs> and then and then also. Talk, talk. If you can talk with people or having walk coffees, like you you were saying, you know, coffee walks, yeah. that's a great opportunity too. If they have this, they have followed this path that you want to go into. That that's something I I, I share a lot, and I I totally agree. Um, yeah. Shaz, we are we are getting to the end of our our interview. Sadly, uh, yeah. although now I, I I kind of want to read your 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 comics. We'll have to talk about that. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, but um, I'll I'll actually let you talk about that in a minute. But before I, I think. We've covered a lot of interesting stuff. I think the listener must, at least myself, just listening to you, I created a great, beautiful picture in my mind of what things could look like not so far from today. So I'm going to, I'm going to hope for that very strongly. But uh, for, you know, the listener who's out there, who's maybe going through a situation kind of, you know, your experience going through graduate school, Mm -hmm. feeling maybe I haven't found my tribe yet. Um, you know, I can't, I can't use my voice. Uh, I have to have my guard up all the time. Thinking of, you know, that you're in front of an od- audience of, of listeners who are in, in this situation, who, um, who uh, maybe don't have a safe space or not yet, at least where they are. Do you have one or two uh, words of, of uh, inspiration, uh, encouragement or advice for them uh, just to, to finish our conversation? Yeah, I, First, I, I feel for you. <sighs> Ooh, I feel for you. That is, it is a hard, 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 hard position to be in. It just, it really can break people down. Uh, and so I think, I think the two things, there's two things that I think are, are really important to focus on. One is joy and the other is rest. And getting in the practice of valuing these two things as much as your work is valued, as much as you have demands to continue with your work. And so with joy, joy is found. Joy is found. There is always joy there and you have to be in the practice of finding it. Maybe there's 
a game that you like to play, a thing that you like to do, a place that you like to go, but there's always joy. And one, one thing I do to, to kind of find, okay, what, what, what it actually brings me joy, right? Not happiness, not the manic up state, <laughs> right? <laughs> joy, the thing that's closer to peace, that's closer to balance, is at the end of the day, you have a really great day where you're just like, yeah. And you just feel that lightness in your chest and you're like, oh, this is so good. I love what I'm doing. This is excellent. I had such a great day. What happened in that day? Write that down. Keep track of that because that is how you find joy. That's your path to finding it. Get in the practice of finding joy. Even when you're depressed and you're distraught and you're mad, take that time to find joy because your joy is important. And the second is rest. You don't have to earn rest. You don't have to earn rest. Rest is a right. Uh, rest looks different for different people. Rest might be going dancing. Rest might be sitting and meditating. Rest might be cooking a good meal for yourself. Going out and, and splurging every once in a while to get someone to make that meal for you. That's rest. Make sure you make that a practice, um, especially if you don't have a place to go, especially if you don't have people to talk to. Those two things will that's that's nourishment that's that's self-care that's love you know you gotta Mm -hmm. gotta keep that no one's gonna do it for you well shaz i don't know if i'm gonna keep it but i want to say amen because (laughs) that it's it's funny because you you just distilled in two words you know things that i when i talk about I, i talk about mental health i talk about wellness i talk about community and uh Anyway, I'm not going to say any, anything more because I, I want the, your words to echo in people's minds. Thank you, Shaz. Yeah, now, Shaz, if, so, if people mm. want to reach out to you, they were inspired by our conversation. They are, they are curious about your project, maybe want to collaborate. How do they reach out to you? Yeah, uh, I welcome any and all people to come say, hey, shout me out, come <laughs> hang out. <laughs> uh, I'm on all the platforms, all the things. I'm, uh, I'm on Instagram and uh, Twitter. I'm at the Dr. Z. That's T H E D O C T A Z. The Dr. Z. Um, and you can check out my work and what I have done and what I'm doing now on my website. And that's Curious Dr. Z. Curious DRZ.com. Uh, and yeah, I'll be, I'm constantly, I'm really active on, on Instagram. Feel free to DM me to get, get in my DMs, uh, <laughs> come, come chat with me. And if you want to go the old fashioned route and you're better at writing things out, you can shoot me an email. It's Shaz, S-H-A-Z at Colorado.edu. I really hope to hear from you guys. I'd love to chat. Perfect. Shaz, I will yeah. share all of those in the show notes. Again, thank you so much for having uh, accepted my invitation to come on the oh, show. Thank you for inviting uh, me. I'm really, really happy with, with uh, where we went with this conversation and uh, really thankful for, for all you've shared. I, I'm sure that this will, will help at least a handful of the listeners out there. So. If, if, if it does, just one, I'll be happy. <laughs> thank you so much. <laughs> thank you. Thanks. I hope you enjoyed this conversation as much as I did. If you want to thank Shaz or look into the resources we shared during the conversation, just go to papaphd.com forward slash 100, where you'll find all the links in the show notes. If you're new to the show, I strongly recommend going to papaphd.com forward slash start and exploring the themed starter packs I've prepared for you. And now, it's time for the podcast discovery segment with Plants and Pipettes and Wisegrad. Do you like plants? 
like really, really like them. Do you wish you could get a glimpse at how they work on the inside, how they grow, flower, avoid problems like drought and heat, and how they defend themselves against attacks? Well, we do too. That's why we at Plants and Pipettes explore the fascinating inner workings of plant molecular biology in our podcast and on our blog. Did you know that bumblebees can control the flowering time of plants by gently biting on them? Or that soap bubbles are great for plant pollination? We are Tegan and Yoram, two plant scientists who escaped the lab to bring you the hot new research without all the scientific jargon. Plus, we talk about topics of diversity and equality in the academic system. And bring fun science facts from the last week. Oh, and we talk about cats. And sometimes also we rant. You can read our stuff on plantsandpipettes.com or search for Plants and Pipettes in your favorite podcast app. Plants and Pipettes, we, we talk, talk plant, plant science. science. Hey, I'm Sanjay. Welcome to Wisegrad. This is the go-to podcast for everyone interested in, currently stuck in, who recently exited the academic world. So it's for students and students at life. Here we'll discuss topics ranging from overcoming academic obstacles to finding jobs to navigating the imminent midlife crisis. I call it the podcast for motivated procrastinators. So if you're super driven but can't seem to get the car started, this podcast is definitely for you. And that's it for this week's episode of Papa PhD. Thanks for listening, thanks for sharing, and have a great week. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Papa PhD podcast. Head over to papaphd.com for show notes and for more food for thought about non-academic postgrad careers. I'll always be happy to share inspiring stories, new ideas, and useful resources here on the podcast. So make sure you subscribe on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts to always keep up with the discussion and to hear from our latest guests. Music